So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, is where we're going to be. Let me take your mind back to science class. I know that's exactly where you want to be right now, because school is awesome. So let's just take your, take your mind back to science class. Specifically, let's just take your mind to biology, because I think it's where you use this thing the most, right? Biology. How many, how, many of you, how many of you freshmen are just loving biology right now? How many of you seniors or juniors are taking AP biology and hitting your life? Marine biology. What is that? All right, so I know what it is. That's not a real question. All right, so take your mind back to biology, okay? Let's just uh, imagine you're in the lab for biology, and there's these things on each of the lab desks, tables, whatever they call them. Uh, it's this instrument for science that you look into. It's got little two little eye holes. You put a thing on there, right? So what is that called? Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Microscope. That's what we're talking about. If you wouldn't have known, I would have been disappointed, and we would have just prayed and left. It's a good thing you knew. Uh, so microscope is what we're talking about, right? So you, you, you get the gist of how microscopes work. They enlarge a smaller image so that you can study it and look into it more clearly and get like the details of what's going on. You get all that, right? I, I know you just, you're experts on microscopes. I'm grateful. Here's probably the most like important part of the microscope, microscope in my opinion. And I'm a, it's a pretty big opinion. I'm a scientist, as you know, it's not, uh, but just like, it's not the mirrors, it's not the lens of the microscope, it's not the base or the stand or the clips that holds the little slide thing. Here's, my, here's what I think the most important part of the microscope is. The two little knobs on the side that you turn, and some of them have knobs up by the, the places that you put your eyes, and some of them have knobs on the side, some of them have both. And the point of those knobs is to bring whatever image that is that you're looking at into focus. In fact, you cannot see the image that you're looking at without those knobs. Apart from those knobs and using those knobs to turn them as much or as little as you need to bring that image into focus, you, it doesn't matter how good the mirrors are. It doesn't matter how good the lens is. It doesn't matter how good the base or the clips or the slide. It doesn't matter how good any of that stuff is because the image that you are looking at is fuzzy. You cannot see it clearly. Therefore, you cannot respond to it rightly. I tell you that to tell you this. And for so many of us, we have a really fuzzy, maybe even wrong picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. For so many of us, if I ask the question, tell me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Tell me what it means to be a disciple. You would say things like, it means not doing, and then you would list things. It means doing, and then listing some things behaviors, avoiding these kinds of people, not going to those kinds of places, not saying these kinds of words. You would, you, you would include the language. Yeah. Yeah. You following Jesus means I follow Jesus, meaning I don't do these things. I do these things. It's about activity. It's about behavior. This is what Jesus is after, after all, right? And what I want to do tonight is maybe turn the metaphorical knobs to clarify the picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Because if that's your picture, that picture is not just fuzzy. That picture is not incomplete. That picture is wrong. The following Jesus is far different and far more than that. That's the question I want to answer today as we look at Matthew chapter 4. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. I'll read through verse 22. You can just follow along with me. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So in clarifying this call and and helping us bring this image into focus of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I want to ask and answer three questions. The first question is this, who does Jesus Call, who does Jesus invite to be a follower? Who does Jesus say, come and follow me? What kind of people is Jesus after being disciples? We ought to ask and answer that question. It's really, really important. In fact, it's life altering. Who is it that Jesus calls? And here's the answer. Jesus calls ordinary, normal, weak people. You're like, wow, real encouraging youth pastor. Thanks for that. Look at the text. Look at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. You see, in the Galilee region, it was really common for people to be Fishermen, it was a trade they would have learned from their dad and that their dad had learned from his dad and then their dad before them. It was, a, it was a family trade. It was a fishing village. It was not abnormal. It was extremely common for Jesus to see people fishing in the Galilee region. And these are the kind of people that Jesus goes to and says, hey, come and follow me. Common, everyday, normal people. But it's not just that. It's not just that they're fishermen. It's not just that they're common. It's not just that they're normal. It's even more than that. You see, the, the picture that we should understand, in, since they're fishing, it means that they phased out of rabbinical school. So this is how it worked. As little Jewish kids, you would go to, for the sake of this, rabbinical elementary. It's not really what it's called, by the way. Don't go home and be like, Kate taught us about Jewish elementary. Not what it's called. And everybody would go, and you would, you would move up into like a junior high. And at that point, you're starting to ask questions about following a rabbi. But the way that it worked was you asked to follow a rabbi. And the rabbi would make the decision of whether or not you could follow them. And if he didn't make the decision, you went back to learn a trade from your father. This would probably happen somewhere around 13 years old. Where do we find these guys? In the boat with dad. Which means they potentially asked a rabbi, can I follow you? And nobody picked them. And so they're back working. So if you're the person in here that thinks, Jesus isn't picking me to follow him. I'm not confident. I'm not persuasive. I'm not cool. I'm not influential. I'm not bold. I'm not popular. I've got tons of baggage. I'm a wreck, man. Like you just don't know. Jesus isn't inviting me in to to follow him because of all of that. Whatever the list is for you that you give and say, Jesus doesn't want me to be a part of his team because of the baggage I carry, the junk that I have, the, the, the qualities that I lack. Kate, I'm 
weak, what would Jesus have to do with me? Check this out. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you who were wise according to the worldly standards, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The plan of God from eternity past to present to eternity future, the plan of God is I will select what is considered weak. I will select what is considered foolish to shame people so that they would see I'm doing this, not you. The plan of God is to take weak people, people that are classified as weak, people that are classified as foolish, people that are classified as upside down in life and use them for the glory of God so that God would get the glory for it. So if you're in here and you're saying, I can't, I don't, I'm not, you're exactly the kind of person God wants to use. You're exactly the kind of person God is inviting in and saying, come follow me. God takes weak, common, normal, failure-type people and uses them for his glory. And hear me, that's far better. That's way better. So who does Jesus call? Ordinary people. Second question, what is the call? What is Jesus' call? What is Jesus' call to be disciples? What is that about? What is it? And this is really the main question. Look at verse 19. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this is the phrase that Jesus gives to these guys. They're in the boat. They're doing their thing, the thing that they know. And he says, this is the call. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a two-part call that we need to understand. It's a two-part call. The first part of the call is this. When Jesus calls someone, he calls them first to himself. He calls them first to himself. He says, follow me. The first part of Jesus' call is to himself. The first part of Jesus' call, check this out. You've got to hear this. The first part of Jesus' call is to come and be something, not to go and do anything. Jesus is inviting you into relationship with himself. Jesus is inviting you into be, not do. So many of you have have cheapened Christianity to do and don't, rules and get it right. And because of that, you look at Christianity and think that's so lame, that's so boring, that's so life-sucking. And I'm telling you, that's not Christianity at all. If Christianity has been boiled down to do's, don'ts, and rules, we've missed it. That's not the Christianity the Bible describes. In fact, Christianity is an invitation into life. John 10.10 says it like this. Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I showed up so that you could have life fully. Does that sound like just don't do some things and do these things and follow these rules and you're good. Hopefully you get to heaven one day. No. It seems something, it seems like something way bigger than that. It seems like something way better than that. Jesus first calls us to himself. 
He's not asking us to do anything. He's asking us to be something. He's asking us to be in relationship with him. He's asking us to be reconciled to God. He's asking us to come and know him fully as the God of the universe. That's what Jesus is, Jesus is inviting us to be. And we need to know that because we're quicker to do than we are to be. And I think Jesus knew that. Then I need to invite them to be something and not do something. Because if they just do stuff, they're going to get their identity from what they do. But I'm going to give them our identity by something that I am. You see, you, you're quick to find your identity in your action. I'm an athlete. I'm a band kid. I'm a fill in the blank. The problem is what happens when the action changes? You lose your identity. And you're grasping at straws to find something else. But Jesus is in his invitation to be a disciple is follow me. Come and be something. Something that is unchanging. Something that isn't based on you, but is based on me. Because the invitation to come into relationship is not possible left to yourself. In fact, in fact, the only way into relationship with God is through the belief in the shed blood and the resurrected body of Jesus. That Jesus really did live perfectly where you and I were supposed to live perfectly. And really did die in our place. He died our death because our sin. And he rose from the dead in victory, declaring to the world, I am the only way to God. So come and believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. Come and be something. Jesus first calls you to himself. But that's not it. The second part of the call is this. Jesus calls you to his mission. Jesus calls you to his mission. He calls you to himself and then he calls you to his mission. So this is the do. He calls you to be something and then he calls you to do something. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's almost like Jesus is telling a really bad joke. He's like, oh, you guys are fishermen? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Hey. It's like, okay, Jesus, good one. It's something more than that. It's something more than that. He's inviting these guys into his mission. Check it out. This is the mission. He tells it to us in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I hope you caught this. When Jesus calls us to follow and then says to go be fishers of men, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus' plan A for reaching the world with the gospel is us. Is us. Are you hearing that? Jesus' plan A for reaching the world with the gospel is us. His plan A, walking by the Sea of Galilee, was to look at these rabbinic school phase out Jewish kids and say, Your plan A, let's do this thing. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. We are plan A to spread the gospel to the world. And you know how I know the plan worked? Because you're sitting here. Jesus started a plan. 
in the Galilee thousands of years ago to spread the gospel, the good news that he is the Messiah, the way to God. And that message got here and you have believed it. If it was fake, then what are we doing here? And yet here we are, thousands of years later, worshiping the same Jesus that Matthew chapter 4 is talking about. But this is where it gets uncomfortable for us. You know what I'm going to say. You know where I'm going to go. You know what I'm about to like get you ready to, to go into. Your plan A for your schools, your plan A in your circles of influence, on your teams, in your clubs, in your band, you are plan A. God has placed you there on purpose to speak the gospel out loud to those people. God has done that on purpose. He wants you with the Holy Spirit empowering you. If you are in here and you are saying, I'm a believer, God wants you to speak the gospel to those people. And this is where we get really uncomfortable where you're like, yeah, 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 kid, but, but I'm awkward, man. And like, I kind of like when I I like, you know, like if I'm trying to talk to people about Jesus, I feel really uncomfortable and like I stutter, like I sweat and like in really uncomfortable places. And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I just get really nervous and I have all these insecurities and I'm like, I'm not cool and I'm not good with words. And, and so like, what if they make fun of me? And what what if they shove me out? And Kate, I don't, I don't know what to do about all of that. This is, this is the, this is the place in the discipleship relationship where we feel the most exposed. The call to go on mission, to speak the gospel to people, to tell people about Jesus. Not just like, hopefully because I'm nice to them, they'll know I'm a Christian. No, no, no. But speaking the gospel that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected from the dead. We get really uncomfortable. We get really, really, really insecure. But did you catch what he said? Look back at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's stop. That's the phrase Jesus leads with. Hey guys, listen up. Every bit of authority that has ever been that's in heaven and on earth, I have it. So what would you do in that moment? Oh, we should probably listen to you then. Right. Okay. And then he goes on with this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He gives them the thing to do. Go, you go and tell them the gospel. You go, baptize them and teach them to obey. You go do it. And you can just hear what's rolling in their mind. Uh, Us, Jesus? Like Peter denied you three times like three days ago, man. That guy's a moron. Us, Jesus? But I'm not. What if they don't? What if we get, you can hear the same responses but i'm uncomfortable i can't do it and jesus finishes with this and behold i'm with you always to the end of the age it's almost as if jesus knew i know you're going to be uncomfortable so let me just give you the best security ever ever i'm with you forever i'm going to be with you forever it's like this my son wesley he loves to walk on this stage it's like his favorite thing when you're two feet tall, everything's big, right? So he just, he loves to run around and like stomp around on the stage. His favorite thing is to go up the stairs, run across and to come and try to figure out how to go down the stairs. But here's what happens. He goes up, fine. Gets to the stairs on the other side to go down. Whoa, 
this mountain is not conquerable. And he gets like, uh, uh, I'm like, oh, dear God, don't do it. Don't do it. And, you know, like he, he's like, I think I can go for it. Like, I, I don't know, but he's going to swing his seat. But he realizes I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I feel uncomfortable. So you know what he does? He looks at dad. And he holds his hand out. And dad walks over. And dad grabs his hand. And as soon as I grab his hand, you know what he does? One step. Two step. Ground. Let's do it again, dad. <laughs> Up the stairs, across the stage, to the edge. Realizes. Uh, I come to grab his hand. Step. Step. Ground. When somebody bigger and more capable showed up, it gave him security and it gave him confidence and he was willing to go for it because he knew you've got me. How much more that Jesus says to us, hey, you're going to go and it's going to feel uncomfortable. I'm going to be with you. So don't sweat it. I've got you. It's almost as if in the moments where you're going to share the gospel with your friends, that Jesus is like, yeah, boy, you got this. Go ahead. All right, girl. I see you. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like I'm with you. Like you've got what it just go. You've got this. It's because Jesus is saying, I'm with you always. I've got you. I am with you. You have got this. Go and do it. His presence ought to give us an enormous amount of confidence. Let's go do it. You've been invited into a mission. Your plan A. Let's go do it. Last question is this. If we know who Jesus calls and we know what the call is. Is there a cost? Is there a cost? And if there is a cost, what is the cost? Look at verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So let's answer the question, is there a cost? And if so, what is it? Yes, there is a cost. And the cost is many things. For these guys, it cost them comfort. Cost them ease. They knew how to fish. Dad taught them how to fish. They lived in the Galilee. These folks know how to. This is what we do. We are fishing village people. We know how to do this. And yet Jesus shows up and he's like, follow me. And they're like, drop the nets, boys. We out. They leave their comfort. They leave their ease. It costs them. It probably cost them financially. Fishing was a steady job. Income came in. They, they were, I, I would imagine they were hoping one day I will have a wife and kids and it's not free. And they had a stable job that they left behind to follow Jesus. What would it have cost them socially? Can you imagine the boats next to them? Like Jesus says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, hey, come and follow me. And they're like, yep, let's do it. See you later, dad. 
And all the, uh, like, can you imagine, like, what Zebedee's thinking? Like, boys, no, 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 the neighbors, like, they're going to think you're idiots. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, pops. And they're out. They were willing to give it up socially to go after Jesus. It cost them in their family. They left dad in the boat. It cost them security. They knew how to do this. They had something comfortable. They knew how it worked. And Jesus is inviting them into something different. And they were willing to give it up. Here's the question then. If it costs that much, why would anyone be willing to pay that cost? Because what they are gaining is far greater than what they're having to give up. What they are gaining is far greater than what they're having to give up. You get this insight in, in John chapter 1. This is John's this is John's writing about this scene when Jesus calls the disciples. Verse 35 says this. The next day, again, John was standing with, his, with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. He sat with two of his followers. And he looked at Jesus. Now Jesus walks on the scene. And as he walked by, said, John says, as he sees Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples who were with John heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God. And they're like, John, thanks for the good times. We're out, bro. Go ahead. And they followed Jesus. Well, why would they do that? It tells us. Let's, verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him this, that day. For it was about... The 10th hour, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother, Simon, and said, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Did you catch it? They said, we have found the Messiah. He's the Christ. Why were they willing to give up comfort? Why were they willing? Why were they willing to pay it socially? Why were they willing to give up the ease? Because they knew you're the guy. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the promised one of God. You're the one to reconcile this promise. You're him. Why would we not go? What we are gaining in following you is is so much better than what we're going to have to give up or how dumb we're going to look because you're him. So drop the nets. We're out. And it will cost you. At some point, it will cost you socially to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You'll get shoved out of a friend group. It will not be cool. It will cost you financially one day because you will make decisions as adults and maybe even as teenagers with your money. To honor God that isn't popular. You will not try to accumulate the best and the greatest and the whatever. Because you have a different kingdom that you serve. It will cost you relationally. It will cost you in all kinds of areas. But I am telling you what you are gaining. Makes what you give up look like nothing. Paul says it like this in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, 
I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, I've counted everything that I have, every title that I have, everything that I have. I've counted it garbage because knowing Jesus is better. If I have all these titles and all these achievements and all these rewards and all this money and all these friends, but I don't have Jesus, I've wasted my time. There's nothing better than Jesus. And so Paul says, I'll give all of it up as long as I get him. Question. What does it take for somebody to say that? What does it take for disciples to give it up? What does it take for Paul to give it up? It takes Jesus actually being the son of God that resurrected from the dead. You don't give up your life on a, this just makes me feel better. You don't cough up your ease because it's cool. You give that up if you're certain he's God. I'm going with him. And that question's before you. If you're thinking in your brain, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I knew that Christianity was all about just like taking my fun away. No, no, no. What if Christianity is inviting you into life? And that might mean that you have to cough, cough some stuff up. But it's only the things that are actually robbing you of life. That Jesus is inviting you into life. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. For many of you, I hope that you would think in this moment about Jesus' first part of the call, that Jesus is calling you to himself. For many of you, you don't believe Jesus. You don't, uh, or maybe you thought you did, but when we talked about this, you're like, that is not the picture of Christianity or the picture of Jesus that I have ever been given. That's something different. And Jesus is calling you to himself into relationship with him. And you want to know What does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? I'm not going to make you do anything. Like I'm not going to make you do anything, but I'm going to give you this freedom. If you have that question of what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? You either go and get an adult or grab the friend that is with you. And you ask them that question. What does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? Can you help me understand We will love to have that conversation with you. The second group. You're certain that you're a follower of Jesus. But here's the deal. If, if you would say I'm a follower of Jesus, then you need to be on mission for Jesus. So many of you are caught up in your own insecurity, in your own fear, not willing to go for it. And you need to hear the words of Jesus in the Great Commission. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You've got what it takes. Your plan A. You can do this. So maybe you just take a moment when we start singing and you just ask God this simple thing. God, would you give me courage and boldness to do what you have invited me in to do?
That's it. God, would you give me courage and boldness to do what you've invited me in to do? And you can stand and worship and trust that God gives you what, he need, what you need.